0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times, you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's been more than a week since the onset of war in Israel and Gaza. It all started with a brutal surprise attack by Hamas on Israel, where militants killed more than 1,300 people, most of them civilians. Israel quickly declared war and began an unprecedented bombing campaign that's leveled entire neighborhoods in Gaza City. The results? 1,500 dead, thousands more injured, and 400,000 people displaced in less than a week. Electricity, water, food, and fuel have all been cut off for Gazans. And the Israeli military has told more than a million residents of northern Gaza to evacuate to the south. The UN condemned the demand, saying it would lead to, quote, devastating humanitarian consequences. Meanwhile, Hamas militants continue to hold around 150 hostages, among the missing an Evanston mother and daughter. Let's bring this home and hear from three local leaders who just returned from an interfaith trip to Jerusalem. Rami Nashashibi is the executive director of the Inner City Muslim Action Network, or IMAN. Rev. Otis Moss III is senior pastor at Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago's Washington Heights neighborhood. And black Jewish activist from Chicago, Sidney Wallace. As our guests were leaving Tel Aviv the day of the Hamas attack, they had to take cover in a bomb shelter at the airport as rockets fired from Gaza began hitting Israel. And I started by asking Sydney what it's been like to watch the war unfold after having just been there.
0: it's been it's been incredibly lonely it was a really intense trip and then to come back and and have seen some of the ramping up of the, this attack and then see what the the media is portraying it as has been really really difficult for me and we'll
1: talk more about that uh Rami you go on this two week interfaith trip literally just as you're leaving the Hamas attacks begin what was that like
2: uh surreal i um And, you know, so much of the trip had these extraordinary, almost jolting juxtapositions between spiritually sublime, amazing moments of us coming together, connecting in really radically empathetic ways to our traditions, to the stories of people of the land, and then some very gut wrenching reality moments of, you know, oppression, occupation on the ground. That early morning Saturday was similar. We were at the Baha'i Gardens in the early morning getting this personal tour of this absolutely amazing, you know, stupendous view overlooking the Mediterranean in Haifa and then heard some of the news but was trying to stay away from most of it Mm -hmm. as we were just trying to get to the airport uh, with uh, the last remaining contingent of our group, which is at that point around twenty-two, twenty-three people, including some Palestinians that were living in Jerusalem that were accompanying us, so uh, did you folks see or hear anything? So we had heard we, we had heard the news, and we were aware some things were happening, um, and we were just trying to again um not be overwhelmed by the news even as we were leaving out. Um clearly we felt the edge that was uh you know people were on and um but it really culminated as we were getting into the airport. Uh we our big, you know, uh the the, the, the transportation bus that was kind of moving us around, the charter bus, uh, pulled up into the airport. Um by that point we started hearing rumors that the flights may have been canceled. So Uh, my, our Iman director from Atlanta and I got off the bus to just check in on those things. And then within almost three minutes, um, sirens started wailing and people desperately, everyone fleeing inside the airport. And then, and then we started hearing rocket fire and seeing rockets. Um, at that point, um, I instinctually just ran back. I realized, oh, my God, we still have an entire group on a bus that is outside. Came, I saw our group running, um and we were just trying to direct everyone into the airport, into an underground level of the airport in kind of a makeshift bunker. Um And it was surreal. You know, it was a moment where I think, you know, and it, i was been reflecting on it this week because – at that moment, it didn't matter if you were a Muslim, Jewish, Christian, who, what background. We were all just trying to seek shelter. Yeah. I was just trying to get everybody in at some point. I saw a, a father and a young child. And as a father myself, I, I just I helped pick up the child and pick up her bag and comfort her. It didn't dawn on me that I'm here, a Muslim, Palestinian, and that could have been an Israeli, Jewish person. That was a human being mm. in need of comfort of that moment. And that... and and sitting with that experience and realizing that basic element of humanity that even in that moment of horror is been so absent Goodness. this week for children in a place like Gaza
1: what was going on in your mind in those moments reverend
3: I believe just several hours earlier so once i landed in chicago i then quickly heard about what was happening in in Israel and and began praying at that time. As a matter of fact, our congregation was praying all through the weekend and on Sunday, when a portion of our group was still stuck in the airport, we were praying in service. And right after the prayer, I got a text that they were on a bus about to cross uh, the, the border from Israel to Jordan to get an airport and our church went insane. They Mm -hmm. just clapped and cried and just gave thanks to God uh, that people were, were safe. It was a strange, peculiar time to be in the heart of a sacred land and witnessing spiritual possibilities and at the same time resting in the valley of the human condition. Was absolutely a peculiar, strange, and painful yeah. uh, moment. Cindy, you
1: were nodding as, as Rami sort of recalled those moments. What was coming back to you?
0: Um, so I was on the bus when they got off to go and check see if the flights were still going, and it was it was a pregnant silence on the bus. Everybody, I think, was just kind of realizing what was going on, and then the sirens went off. And we started seeing the rockets. Someone on our trip actually said he thought they were shooting stars. There were so many. And we realized we needed to get off the bus, but the bus was locked. And we scrambled to figure out how to get the the doors open and how to hold them open. We had people with mobility issues. We had uh, families on the bus that, you know, the children were like, I've got to go back for my mom and my sister. And we're like, no, just keep going to see those of us again. As Rami was saying, it didn't matter who was Muslim, Christian, Jewish. It didn't matter what we were doing at the time we were just trying to guide people we it to see the people that that held themselves back to make sure others were able to get ahead it was um it was a very scary moment but it was also um it kind of reminded me after 9-11 when the world when when the country just kind of came together like when you saw the images of people pulling people out of the rubble nobody cared whose hand they were grabbing they were just trying to help someone
1: So, Reverend, uh, in response to the Hamas attacks and and Israelis being held hostage, the Israeli military has launched what they're calling a siege of Gaza. Uh, Israel has cut off electricity, water, food, and fuel for the two million residents in the area. And then, of course, as we've mentioned, there's the bombings, right, the airstrikes. What do you make of Israel's response to the Hamas attack uh, on Israel, including the latest, right, this evacuation order that I mentioned of, of northern Gaza?
3: As, as a faith leader, as a person who believes in the alleviation of suffering, as one who has, as, has followed and studied the philosophy of Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Heschel, of, of, Mah- of Mohandas Gandhi, the belief in how do we operate with deep empathy, and how do we cover those who are most vulnerable, is at the top of of my spirit. And I believe that there are groups of people who want to ensure that mothers and fathers who are crying for their children will not have to cry anymore. And I think that there needs to be a conversation about how we ensure that it is not just a political conversation, but that we have radical empathy and recognize uh, that there are families that are suffering, and where people are suffering, we should speak to how we can alleviate that suffering, whatever position we may find ourselves in along the political spectrum or geographical spectrum.
1: Rami, you and Rabbi Andrea London of Beth Emmett in Evanston, you wrote a piece for USA Today where you described the carnage and the Israeli blockade that's imposed on Gaza as, quote, barbaric, and inhumane, and yet not often condemned by the world, why why do you think that is
2: I think it really comes down to a invisibility of basic Palestinian humanity um, and unfortunately, that theme, that motif has been present for many other uh communities throughout the globe, especially those who have undergone you know colonial subjugation, white supremacist doctrine. Uh, where the other is seen as less than human. The Israeli Minister of Defense, uh, when announcing the closure a few days ago, he very specifically said, in Hebrew, no water, no electricity, no food. Um, these people, wasn't referring at this point to simply Hamas, to the 2.2 million Palestinians living in Gaza, over 50% of whom are children, 80% of whom are refugees, um, 50% unemployed, living in some of the most horrid, squalid conditions. He said these people are human animals and they will be treated accordingly. Um, I think the most atrocious, unconscionable uh, statements that have come, unfortunately, in the last few days have come from people in the highest positions of office, including the President of the United States and the Secretary of State, who have not recognized... In in certainly standing with the suffering of our Jewish brothers and sisters, whether they are here in Evanston or in in Israel, Mm -hmm. every human being can acknowledge that, including myself and any Palestinian, yet have not been able to speak to honestly, not even mention the word Palestinian, um, let alone acknowledge Palestinian suffering.
1: Sydney, what are your thoughts on on how... Public officials are are responding to these attacks, and and you can work the media into that. You you were bringing that up earlier.
0: It's it's these bumper sticker slogans. Everyone is saying the same thing, and I'm I'm really curious who's giving them this script. Everyone is sticking with the same thing. We stand with Israel. You know, uh, the these attacks are atrocious. These these people are animals. But I'm wondering where did that start and who started that script that we have completely erased the humanity from the Palestinian population? Um, my my Jewish education has lied to me for a very long time. I was also, I fell prey to the idea that, it, I, I fell prey to the idea of a, of a group, not people. They weren't humans. I wasn't recognizing that. And as what a, do
1: you mean they've lied to you?
0: I, they've lied to me in that I was under the impression that when 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 they came when the refu- the Jewish refugees came in that they they built up the entire infrastructure in their community they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps but it's they they came into homes that had been occupied they they came into structures that were already existing that they had pushed people out of, and maybe not necessarily the Jewish refugees themselves but someone. And you must recognize when you come in that an entire home is built and furnished. Where did that come from? Um, it's, it feels very, it's, it's jarring to to realize that there, I wasn't asking the right questions or maybe wasn't asking the right people, but I, I did not know.
1: Reverend, later today, the Chicago City Council is holding a special meeting uh, to debate a resolution in solidarity with Israel. Now, it's being put forth by 50th Ward Alderwoman Deborah Silverstein, who's the only Jewish member of the body. What do you hope the city council bears in mind when they meet today?
3: It's my prayer that the city council will, again, recognize the suffering of all and not just uh, the pain of, of one community. And I think that that is something that is incredibly important. As a person of African descent uh, who has witnessed othering, who has witnessed being framed as a stereotype, I think it is important uh, for us to have the conversation uh, that all in this moment are experiencing pain and have conversation about the full historical context is is of the utmost and for people who are palestinian for people who are jewish the unique thing is that each community and that's what was so beautiful about the trip all of us have a particular history of othering where some form of supremacy has attempted to marginalize and frame us through a destructive imagination. And because of that connection, there has to be a heart of empathy. There has to be a heart of compassion that recognizes how we can move forward and build a community that is not yet but can be as we continue to rest on the spiritual principles of, of our faith traditions.
1: The Reverend brings up a, an interesting point, Rami. Uh, we, we know that there are many people around the world who do not fully know or understand the history between right. these regions. It's clear by some of the narratives that we're seeing floating around on social media, for yeah. example. Talk about the need, especially in the midst of war, to understand the context that led to the current violence in the Middle East.
2: Yeah. Um, and especially when we, you know, speak about the Palestinian Israeli conflict and the way it's existed in the last hundred years, um, its rootedness in the colonial project, uh, the decades long, uh, ses- you know, sense of real systemic injustice, uh, that, uh, a community that has, you know, been very much invisible and often uh, relegated to, uh, that narrative that Pastor Moss is speaking to, the other, um, it's important to understand that, that at one point, um, Israel had to present itself even in the context of an extraordinarily virulent anti-Semitic Europe as a perspective, even when this was a British colonial mandate in the early part of the, you know, 20th century, early 1900s after World War One. Uh, as as Jews, understandably, were trying to find a way out of the rampant anti-Semitism that was, you know, uh, rearing its head in so many ways that had led to pogroms in Europe. Um, the context for for Israel, unfortunately, even in its early incipient stages, started to fall alongside the colonial narratives of we would be a sea of civil, an island of civility in a sea of barbarism. Um, we would be the colonial outpost. And in many ways, that narrative has, uh, has continued throughout the ages, even to our modern kind of moment within the context of the United States, that our relationship with Israel is about a quote unquote sacred democracy in the midst of all of this chaos of a group of people who have no appreciation for democracy, no appreciation for human rights, and what that does For the average American who could not really place Gaza or Israel or Tel Aviv or Jerusalem on a map, Mm -hmm. it, it allows them to fall into those sound bites, those jingoistic sound bites that often, you know, mean standing, this idea standing with Israel often means denying, unfortunately, the basic humanity of a group of people who've been suffering under an illegal military occupation in an, in an extraordinarily degrading manner for many, many years. The first intifada uprising that came out of Gaza happened in 1987. Hamas was not even a, uh, a formed idea at that point. So to try to reduce all of this just to this one extremist group or one set of extreme form of terrorist violence, mm-hmm. the, the fact of grievances that have been uh, lingering For a group of people who have been under military occupation, denied basic human rights, living under a subjective kind of apartheid-like state, that recognition is very much missing in any of the conversations about the current moment.
1: Sydney, let's talk about what you originally went to Israel and Palestine to do, right? You were on this trip called Black Jerusalem. So I would love for you to explain for us what it was and the intention of your journey to Jerusalem.
0: Um, I think I'm still coming to grips with what the trip was. Um, But it was, it was this beautiful thing. I, again, I did not know the history. I'm still learning all of it, but seeing so many African faces in the Holy land that I always assumed there were some, but to see so many was so beautiful. And to see the rich and vibrant ways in which, uh, all members of the African diaspora have have enriched the world, enriched the lives through food and music and art. And it was just, it was a really beautiful trip for me.
1: Reverend, Jerusalem obviously has a, a huge significance in all three of your faiths, but this was specifically about exploring it through a Black and African lens. Share a bit of what that meant for you.
3: The beauty of the trip was to to really recast the the way in which we see uh, this region in the Holy Land. For for many people of African descent in America, because of of television and white evangelical publications, uh, there is in the imagination that everybody in this region is white and black people are interlopers in this region. We arrive there and find out that this is A part of northeast africa was considered to be a part of northeast africa prior to the british making a claim that it was something else and running into so many different people uh rami and i were were, were going to pick up some food and people were trying to figure out where i was from they're like is he egyptian is he palestinian is he ethiopian and i said no i'm just a brother from the south side of chicago and it was just an incredible Opportunity to connect uh, with people and see the the holy land, this the sacred spaces, and that people of African descent not only are present, but have been from the very beginning, mm-hmm. have been a part of the formation of the Abrahamic traditions. And that is incredibly important, especially for young children on the south side of Chicago who feel that they are on the outside of every institution, to know that some of the oldest institutions, they were at the founding and part of the development and growth of of these institutions and traditions.
1: I think that when we talk about Israel and, and Palestine and, and the region, and then whenever there's conflict, who is impacted? Uh, you know, There are a lot of voices that are either getting amplified or silenced. But voices that often get erased are the black Palestinians and the black Jews. You've talked already about how you're still learning a lot, but I mean, share more if you can about... What you did learn about their experiences there that maybe you didn't know before.
0: I I don't think I understood that the Israeli government controlled their water and their food and their access to electricity. I, I don't know that I can. It's very embarrassing to say that when you when I would hear about the West Bank and Gaza, I genuinely thought these were separate places. I did not realize that these were in the confines of the, the borders of what is called Israel. I didn't realize that they were all Palestinians. It's The narrative is created that these are these are countries outside, that it, they just don't want Israel to exist. But I, the context never gave the reason of, of why that might be or how that came to be. And while I was there, um, being black, I... I looked like Palestinians, so some of the soldiers would kind of side-eye me, and then they would see the Hebrew on my necklace and ask me if I was Jewish, Mm. and suddenly I was one of them, and they treated me very well, and because I am Jewish, I was treated better and and, and in a more welcoming way. I can't understand how anyone would feel okay with that and be able to dismiss that. There's no way you can't see it. It is so obvious and palpable, and and it's a switch. Mm. It's a very quick switch.
1: So interesting, Rami. This this trip was obviously an enriching experience for you all. Um, I want to read a little passage from the article that you co-wrote with Evanston Rabbi Andrea London. It appeared in USA Today earlier this week. And you say, quote, We leaned into one another's rich spiritual backgrounds and commitments to justice, mercy, and peace by exploring underappreciated connections to this sacred land, and in so doing, tried to forge another path for radical empathy and connection to the stories, hopes, and aspirations of those working for and dreaming of more dignified pathways for all people on this land. End quote. What are some of these underappreciated connections to the land?
2: Yeah, I think it's partly what uh, you heard Pastor Moss and, uh, you know, referring to is this recentering the way our Ancestral connections to Africa and African trajectories, even for those of us who are not from immediate, you know, let's say may not be seen as African-American, yet when we all are in kind of center that narrative, it opened up real new possibilities and it was really profound. Um, when we were in Jericho and the Palestinian mayor of Jericho, an African Palestinian, shows up to lunch with 20 African Palestinians, one of the most ancient sacred city. We didn't get into heavy conversations about politics. I mean, the first thing that we did when they, when we got off the bus, it was welcome home and a sister grabbed me by the hand, walked me into a band room with young kids. And again, they may were Jewish. I was Muslim and Palestinian, but we were jamming out and mm-hmm. she was hugging me and loving on me. There was something about connecting to a ways in which we can disrupt yeah. the very hyper-Eurocentric framework that the Middle East, even that notion, Middle East of where, uh, allowed us to open up new possibilities and connections.
1: And I'm glad you're going there because I did want to talk about the um, the coalition building that we have been seeing between the black and Palestinian movements, right? And, Talk more about the parallels or intersections between the movements, as you see it, yeah. that have really just helped strengthen allyship there.
2: Yeah. I mean, the the connection and alignment, of course, goes back decades. Um, and, you know, uh, Shirley Chisholm, Jesse Jackson… Um there are movements that have been opening up, Stoley, Carmichael, Malcolm, and even Martin Luther King and Malcolm actually showed up in the Holy Land the same year. And I know they sometimes get they interpreted as very differently, but they're both looking for ways in which to connect to the local populations, the notions and the stories, and as black folks who had endured uh in the most dehumanizing centuries long Form of systematic oppression could not end up in a land like the Palestinian realities and not see the day-to-day injustices like Sidney was talking about and connect to uh, Palestinian folks. And that cut across Muslim, Jewish, and uh, uh, Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. And it opened up, again, as Pastor Moss talked about, this notion of radical empathy. And I think that's, in the moment like this, um, whether it's the Mark Lamont Hills, whether it's the Cornell West, whether it's Angela Davis, or even someone like Michelle Alexander, who wrote a powerful op-ed three years ago in the New York Times on uh, Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, to try to talk about the connections. There's a, a silencing of that voice yeah. for fear of things that it may bring.
1: Well, Sydney, as we begin to to wrap here, you know, working towards social justice here in Chicago, that's present in the work that you all do. So, I'm wondering how the trip informs that work now. Like, how will you practice in Chicago what you learned in Jerusalem?
0: I have spent a great deal of time uh, trying to dismantle white supremacy here. I've done that in coalition with uh, the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs. And I've started tackling anti-racism in the Jewish community um, or anti-blackness in the Jewish community, I should say. I think right now uh, there are a lot of Jewish leaders that are really afraid to speak up. Um, But I'm a type of person, I'll never say anything behind your back. I won't say to your face. And so I'm going to have to stand on principle with this and work to dismantle white supremacy within the Jewish community. Uh, the, The stark reaction I see to... People who white presenting Jews here who will work on anti-racism things but won't talk about Israel is is very prominent in my mind right now. And I've got to figure out a way to be able to help peel back those layers and let them know that it's I think they're operating out of a a sense of fear. Mm -hmm. It's It's a trauma response. And I I've got to figure out a way to help with that. Um, it was it was difficult working with anti-blackness in the Jewish community. And I thought I was I thought that was the pinnacle of the, the difficulty there. And so this is going to just be a whole nother level. Um, but I'm going to stand on it. I may lose a lot, but I may gain a lot. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And you're committed. I'm committed.
1: Leave us with this, Reverend. A lot of people are angry right now and they're afraid and they're frustrated. They feel helpless. Give some advice to, to folks watching or listening to the news right now and maybe even people waiting to hear from family overseas.
3: I think we have to lean into the best values and principles uh, that we have been taught. The things that break our heart also are the things that break God's heart. And as one philosopher said, By the name of Leonard Cohen, the cracks is where the light is let in. And in these moments, this is the radical moment of building coalition. There was a young man we met uh, while we were there by the name of Mahmoud. Brilliant, wonderful Palestinian brother. There is this beautiful coalition of Palestinian young activists along with Israeli activists who are raising a question, how do we build a new world that literally is to kumulom? that is repairing the breach, uh, that is Ubuntu, that recognizes my humanity is tied to your humanity, that does not see the region as the Middle East, but literally as an extension of when humanity migrated from Africa and began to build communities and civilizations across the globe. This conflict is also an opportunity for us to lean into love, justice, and radical empathy and build a new world, not for us, but for generations that are yet to be born.
1: This Reset Conversation was produced by Linnea Dominic and Meha Ahmed. It was edited by Meha and Dan Tucker. We have important conversations like this every day on Reset. We host interviews daily from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can tune into to WBEZ on 91.5 FM or stream live at wbez.org slash live. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk soon.